Welcome to Missionary Roundtable with your host, Kale Horvath. Welcome back to Missionary Roundtable. My name is Kale Horvath. I'm your host, and thank you so much for joining us again as we have been talking to pastors and missionaries throughout this entire summer, looking at different facets of international missions and the Great Commission and what role each of us play in that Great Commission, regardless of whether we're changing our address for the sake of the gospel or we're staying right here. We each have a part to play in that Great Commission as Christ lays out for us. And so during this summer podcast series, we've been trying to talk to different pastors and missionaries who are actively involved in the mission and not just philosophize and theorize about what missions is, but really the the people who have their boots on the ground and have their hands in the work, talking to them and getting their view about these things. This week, I'm really excited because I've got a very special guest on. Uh, He's no stranger to the Roundtable podcast, and he's no stranger to a lot of you. Uh, It's my honor to introduce Pastor Mark Trotter. Hey there, Kale. I'm glad to be with you today. Hey, Pastor Mark. Thanks so much for being on. Um, It's for a lot of people who don't know who've been listening to this or whatever. Uh, So my home church and sending church now, I suppose is what I would call it, is uh, First Baptist Church in New Philly, Ohio. And uh, Pastor Mark was my pastor when he was the pastor here in New Philadelphia for uh, uh, almost 20 years, the senior pastor, right? Yes, and almost 25 combined, I was uh, about four and a half years as the uh, assistant pastor before right. becoming right. Uh, where the buck stopped. Yeah, and so really, Pastor Mark took over our church right around either before I was born or right around when I was born. And so like my whole childhood leading up to you know being 17 or 18 years old, uh, he was my pastor as a kid. And so, uh, it's, I mean, it's just kind of weird now at this point uh, to yeah, be talking man. to you like this. <laughs> well, every time I talk with you, my mind goes back to in those days when I was the assistant pastor, uh-huh. uh, I, one of my main focuses of ministry for the Sunday school hour was the young marrieds. Oh. And, uh, so uh, I remember your mom being pregnant with you, wow. and we, we, we would put together this little photo book that we gave to parents. I still remember, you know, writing on the inside of that, that thing with your parents. And uh, so, dude, it has That's been crazy. <laughs> a joy for me to be able to see what, uh, what God did with you. Oh. And uh, for real, it, it just... Uh, I was listening to uh, the podcast that you were a part of on uh, the Theology Roundtable and just going, man, I am like blown away at what God has done in you and through you. It's awesome, dude. Ah, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But you can't you can't toot my horn over here because you're the guest <laughs> on this podcast. So I gotta... <laughs> well, I, I would be remiss I, seriously. I appreciate not it doing that, man. It's, yeah. it's true. <laughs> well, and I appreciate you know your uh, building into my life, you know, directly and indirectly over the years, uh, being a pastor of our church. And, uh, so what I'd like to talk about today in regards to missions really is to kind of wind the clock all the way back. And you've been on theology Roundtable, you've been on the postscript and, and, and obviously a lot of people know who you are, but man, I, I feel like some of the story of being back at first Baptist church as the senior pastor, um, maybe not as many people know that unless they're from new Philadelphia, 
Um, so right. I'd like to wind it back to uh, when you were taking over the senior pastor slot at First Baptist Church. You were young. Uh, how old were you when, when you got voted 31. in? 31. 31 years old. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, I'm 29 right now. So that's... Yeah, man. To, to think about like if in two years that, that would be my role, that would... Yeah, that's... That would blow me away. That would be that would be too it was, much. It blew me away too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, in this idea of missions and stuff, or that I really want to talk about today is is the role of pastors, not just senior pastors, but pastors who are on staff at churches, and the role that they play in supporting missions and missionaries. And I'm sure when you took over the church at 31 years old. There, there were probably a few things that you weren't quite sure on what you were doing um, and, and winging it and, you know, fake it till you make it kind of a thing. Um, right. But but in in regards to missions, what what was it like whenever, you know, you took it over, you got the big chair and in, in the office <laughs> and, and now it's like, OK, what who are all these missionaries? What what are some of the things that you had to deal with as you learned what it meant f- for you as a senior pastor to support missions? Yeah, and I think that's a great question, and I'm almost embarrassed to answer it, uh, to be quite honest with you, because at the, in my journey, uh, it, it wasn't like uh, I was growing up in that living faith fellowship mindset, to where you had a solid uh, understanding of the hermeneutic that we now embrace. And I was uh, trained in the biblical scholarship world and without the scholarship, (laughs) if that (laughs) makes sense. Uh, So trying to act like, you know, we're defining words that we understand and it it just, the whole thing being somewhat whack. And so when I became the pastor, I knew that as a pastor, you know, we got to do this missions thing, but wow, man, I was clueless about missions. I, to be honest with you, man, I, I needed God to do something in my heart hmm. in terms of missions. And I, I knew that. And so I, I started, uh, I started reading some books on missions and just, began to pray that God would teach me, would do what he needed to do in me to get me to the place to where this was a passion. And uh, he did that. Uh, And, and you know, I, uh, because of what God did in that whole mission world in New Philadelphia back in the day. And of course it continues even in a greater way today under the leadership that's presently there. But I, I've, through the years had lots of pastors that, you know, ask me, Hey, how do I, how do I get my people interested in missions? And, uh, my, my answer is, is always the same. And it sounds kind of condescending, and I don't mean it in that way. But what I tell them is, get your people interested in God. Don't worry about 
getting them interested in missions, get them interested in God. And of course, the way that we get our people interested in God is preaching the word and making sure that that is what we are focusing on. Because if, if we get people interested in the word of God, they will get interested in the God of the word. If they get interested in the God of the word, they're going to get interested in what God is interested mm, in. Sure. And he has always been interested in reaching the whole world. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think in this whole mission world, it's, it's, we all know we should have compassion for the whole, the lost of the world. And certainly we should, you know, Jesus was moved with compassion. And, you know, we, I think that's what we, where we all want to be. We want to be moved with compassion, but I've not really seen too many people get there by focusing on people. But I think that's what we think needs to happen when we are talking about having compassion for the lost is, you know, we've got to picture the lost and picture hell and people burning in hell if we don't do this and that. And as, uh, as motivating as that seems like it ought to be, I've just never seen anybody for the long haul that stayed motivated by focusing on people. And so the way that uh, I have learned this through the years is, first of all, focus on having a passion for God. And where we can relate to some of those things that David would talk about, uh, about how as the heart, the deer, the H-A-R-T, panting for streams of so my soul pants for you oh god and that's the passion that i'm talking about having for god when when we get that passion for god what happens to us is it morphs into what i call co-passion and co-passion being that we start caring about the things that god cares about. And what he cares about most is the glory of his son, getting him to where he's receiving the glory that is due his name. And of course, we understand he's not going to receive the glory due his name until he sits on that throne in Jerusalem and rules and reigns on the earth. But in order for there to be citizens in that kingdom, wow, we, we've got to uh, have an understanding of our role in this thing, but mm -hmm. moving from the passion for God and the passion then that we share with God to see his son glorified. When we get to that place to where that is what we're sharing with God, I have found that it moves into compassion. Mm -hmm. And that is the the way that we begin to genuinely care about the people of the world is in the context of how they fit into this overarching plan that God has for his son to receive the glory that is due his name. And, and in regards to pastors, it 
it really is. So what you're saying is for a pastor who maybe feels like if their congregation isn't as on board with missions as he'd like them to be, or maybe he's taken over a new congregation and, and trying to change the culture of missions and how we support missions and view missions, it, it really does start with you. And, yes. And, and if you can preach that passion for the word of God and get your people to love God's word and fall in love with him, the missions thing will happen naturally is what you're saying. You don't have to force it or manufacture that. Right. And, and of course uh, that doesn't mean that you don't never bring up Mm -hmm. the responsibility and the, the world and the need. Sure. All of that. But I think that a lot of pastors think, okay, we're going to have a missions emphasis and we're going to do this for uh, a Sunday or we're going to do it for six weeks mm-hmm. and talk about the need of the world and all of that. And, and those sermons are great and I, I hope they increase, but I don't think, I don't think people are going to stay motivated for the long haul until they can see the big picture of Christ in that kingdom mm-hmm. with worshipers from every kindred tribe, people, and nation. Mm-hmm. That's where I, I think the, the motivation comes. And, 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 and again, I, go, going back to your question, when, when I became the pastor of the church, I, uh, I don't know that I had the passion for the word of God. I knew it was my responsibility to preach and teach it. And I did that. I'm just not so sure I was passionate for God or that I was sharing in that. And so I, I'm, I'm, you know, not trying to say that. And so I now have the compassion that everybody ought to have for the lost people of the world because of my great passion and co-passion for God. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying that in my journey, I found that what I was looking for in missions really didn't come from reading a book on missions. Mm -hmm. It it came from reading the book about God. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And so then, so when you took over, uh, you know, the senior pastor role at at First Baptist Church, um, what, what did you, now you probably don't remember specifically like, well, on this date, I sat down and started figuring out what we're (laughs) going to do for missions, but what, what did you what kind of process did you go through in trying to understand more about uh, what the church's role is, what your role it was in supporting missionaries uh, that that you that you partner with, and not just a giving thing? Because I think some pastors might think, well, it's important that we get our church to give, and it is. But but how does a how did you figure out how the pastor and the church is supposed to partner with the missionaries that they support? Um. Well. When I, when I go back and uh, begin to recreate what, what was actually happening way back when, and this, this may be the biggest no-brainer in the history of Earth, <laughs> but uh, the, what I began to see is, okay, Matthew 13, 38, the field is the world, mm-hmm. okay? And Mark 16, 15, we're to go into all the world, but the, that, that little thing of the whole world, Acts 1.8, gives us a, a pretty doggone good breakdown of what the world actually is and our responsibility to be witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, and the uttermost part of the earth. And so with my little simplistic mindset way back when, I just began to say, okay, so let's use this as our model for how we're going to support missions. And so I, I just asked myself, okay, so what are we doing in our Jerusalem? Because we do have a responsibility there. And so what kind of outreach and what kind of ministry are we going to have in our own county, not just our little city of New Philadelphia, but Tuscarawas County? Mm -hmm. And then I began to ask, okay, so what are we doing in our Judea? And I saw our little Judea as our state. And how could we partner with other people who are planting churches or uh, various outreaches to reach the state of Ohio and then Samaria. And I saw that as, you know, and asked the question, what are we doing to uh, minister to the people in our own country? And how can we network with other people and other missions that are taking place there? And then, of course, the uttermost part of the earth, which is uh, anything that's outside of, of our country. And so that was kind of the way that it began uh, way back when. And so from a budgeting standpoint, um, I, I, uh, what we did is the Jerusalem and the Judea and the Samaria, we uh, took 25% of our, of our missions giving mm -hmm. to go to... Uh, to those three things, and 75% uh, that we were putting away uh, for the the uttermost part of the earth. And and so that uh, basically, probably my whole tenure there, that was the, the way that we approached that. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, as at the first, uh, what, what I began to do, is I began to challenge our people to be faithful, to give their, their tithe to the Lord. And uh, we began challenging them to, to give over and above specifically to missions. Uh, we talked about, you know, not robbing Peter to pay Paul. Don't mm -hmm. take from your tithes to do that. We've still got a function here, but, uh, but, trust the Lord to give over and above uh, two missions. And, uh, and I, I challenged them uh, actually to through the years, just incrementally increase that as the Lord blesses you and see if you can't get to the place to where your missions giving is equivalent to your tithe. Mm-hmm. And so that you're actually giving 20%, and mm -hmm. but just you being involved in, in, in giving specifically to missions. And uh, so as we were leading the people to do that, we started uh, telling our folks, what we're going to do is take 10% of what comes in in the offering to the general budget, and we're going to tithe off of the, the general budget two missions and we will see that with that money and then over and above you guys give to that and uh 
and, and for where we were at that time, Kale, uh, the Lord blessed that. Mm. I mean, uh, people were very active in giving to missions. Back in those days, man, we were able to do uh, an incredible amount with missions. We, uh, back in those days, and you probably remember this as a kid, we were sending out teams multiple times in a year mm -hmm. to other parts of, of the world. Uh, and uh, we, we actually were telling our people back then, if you will pay for the plane fare, we'll pay for everything else. Mm -hmm. Because we felt like in order to, to really understand the heart of God and the heart of missions, mm -hmm. getting people on the field yeah, is... Yeah paramount yeah and, and and actually if you don't mind me shifting gears a little bit oh, I, I actually it. like uh uh wh where you're going with this here so well okay let, let's tie it let's tie a bow on what we were just talking about so we have that principle in the gospels that where your treasure is there will your heart be also and right. so when a church starts uh, when a church body starts to give of their time treasure and talents to missions they're going to start to care you know that where they invest their treasure right. and so they're going to want to go on trips and stuff like that do you remember um the first time maybe that you went and visited one of your supported missionaries on the field um or or do you remember like when you started to do that kind of a thing and and how that affected you oh yeah sure uh, you know, we were highly vested in the Philippines uh, mm -hmm. initially, uh, and uh, there was sent a, many a, people to the missionary or uh, to the Philippines back in the day. Yes, and uh, oh, the the amount of teams that we took. In fact, uh, the first trip that we we took to the Philippines, we took eighty five people. Wow. Uh, you talk about <laughs> good luck with those logistics. <laughs> yes. A logistical nightmare when you don't have any experience. And yet, you know, God was very gracious uh, in that. And uh, so, uh, but I, I was connected with a guy that I went to Bible college with uh, from the Philippines and our church, by the time I became the pastor, was already supporting him. And so uh, when he was on furlough and making the rounds, mm -hmm. uh, we, we hooked back up again and just started dreaming about uh, what could happen in the Philippines. Because our, our church back in those days, this was the early days of discipleship. Mm -hmm. uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple had brought 50 of their people to our church to teach us about the ministry of discipleship and to catapult us into it. And, and man, that, that became our life's blood. I mean, that became what we did as a church. So by the time that missionary came through, uh, he, he was just, Oh, wow, man, this would be incredible in the Philippines. And so back in those days, we were taking, uh, teams really in various locations throughout the Philippines and, but, but people weren't just going and observing or whatever they were, mm -hmm. we were able to train them to do this. And, yeah. uh, and in the, the training process, what it was doing is just moving people into a different level in their own spiritual growth. 
They were taking responsibility for the word of God. And when they got to the field, again, they weren't just taking pictures and, you know, having a little vacation in Mm -hmm. a third world country, but they were actually investing the word of God. And I, I have said through the years, if, if we just went through the training to get people ready to go to the field, it would be worth it even if you didn't get to take the trip <laughs> because there's something that happens to you when you take personal responsibility for the word of God and take personal responsibility for the mission. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it, it, that was, uh, man, that was just incredible Days. And and you guys, uh, we sent families, or or at least one family that I can remember who lived there for you know more than like a month or something, a couple well, of years I believe. Yes, in fact, uh, we were uh, guys were taking one year off from their jobs to go do that, and we were rotating uh, different families in for you know large stints like mm-hmm. that back in those days. And, and the reason for that is what we found is the importance of having a model church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I don't want to take this in a direction you don't want to take it, but I, I have found that unless people can actually see a church functioning, uh, it's hard for uh, the people to understand it, <clears throat> it's hard for the pastor to understand it. So we we actually planted a church in the Metro Manila area yeah, for yeah. that purpose of being a model church. Um, you know, you you certainly know this, this principle that uh, when Paul and Silas and Timothy came into uh, Thessalonica, uh, he, he talks to them in, in that first chapter, and he says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. And there's this uh, model of personal discipleship. Then he, he gets into chapter two, and he starts talking about, and you became followers of the churches in Judea. And, and so it was a, a church following Yes, these men in personal discipleship, and yet that whole church following the model of another church that was established in some of the key things that we would be about, you know, expository preaching and personal Mm -hmm. discipleship and personal holiness and this kind of thing. So that was the reason that we felt the the necessity to plant a church. And so what in time churches uh, or missionaries that we would support kind of the filter we had is it could this be a model church in this country mm-hmm. and if it isn't a model church right now through the influence of our church could they become i mean is that missionary open mm-hmm. to some of the same values that we would embrace sure and so that became how we determined whether or not we were going to take on a guy as a missionary is mm-hmm. it could th- his ministry be a model to the rest of that country and that is really important wouldn't you say for a for a senior pastor or a pastoral team to come up with some sort of uh, 
uh, at least a loose filter because maybe people out there who are uh, church members don't realize, I, I know this from being on the pastor side and the missionary side, when, uh, when you're a pastor of a church, you have sometimes dozens of emails coming in weekly or monthly from missionaries oh, yes. from, from all over the place. And you have to have some sort of way to filter not not just who you're going to support, but who you would consider partnering with. Not it's not just a you know sitting up with a judge's gavel and being like I will give you money, but right. but it's you know no who are who is our church going to partner with and this is why it's not just kind of a a whim, right? Exactly. So and again, you, you probably remember this growing up. What we did is we started hosting quarterly discipleship conferences for that very purpose. Hmm. Okay, I, I talked about the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria aspect. And so mm -hmm. we, with pastors that were looking our way, we would invite them to a discipleship conference to see, are these guys that we're going to get connected with? And we would also do the same thing with those missionaries and say, you know, hey, if, if it works out for you, we'd love for you to come and be a part of our discipleship conference and we'll put you up. Uh, we'll take care of your needs while you're here. And, uh, and this can be where we begin to dialogue about whether or not we'll get connected. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our missionaries, we were getting uh, from hosting those discipleship conferences, rubbing shoulders with them, finding out what are they doing and are they, are they going to have a disciple making ministry on the field? Mm -hmm. And if they weren't, then... Uh, hey, God love you, and hope He uses you in a significant way. Sure, sure. We're not going to throw our funds in that direction. Yeah. So at the very least, a pastor may, maybe if they're struggling, or they just took over a church, or they they just aren't sure of how to to run their missions uh, ministry at their church. At the very least, they should probably just come up with um, a, a a vision and a, a way to identify what they want to do with with their international missions budget and their ministry and then once you've kind of identified that and it's not just nebulous anymore then you can kind of use that to kind of filter through ministries and, and people who are coming to you correct yeah I, I you know I don't think that uh, most pastors are going to be able to host discipleship conferences on a quarterly sure, sure. basis and do those kind of things but I, I do think that with the missionaries that come down the pike, spending time with them and not talking about, well, you know, how, how much do you need, brother? Mm -hmm. Talking philosophy of ministry. You know, are, where are you? What, 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 are, what are you seeking to accomplish when you're there? And, and the pastor being able to share, this is, this is who we are and what we're about. And just kind of salting that conversation to see, you know, are we like-minded? But to, and you had mentioned this before, sure, I inherited a bunch of missionaries, mm -hmm. um, and when when they would come home, yeah, I would try to spend time with them and find out what uh, what what they're really all about and what they're doing. And uh, it's very hard to cut off a missionary. And, sure. Uh, and so I I don't really remember 
cutting off too many uh, people. Um, but I, I, I do remember determining that wherever some of those people were, that's probably, we're not going to be increasing. We're not going to take from our budget to increase people that aren't like-minded with us. Mm. Um, and, uh, and those are so, the hard things that a pastor has to decide mm. behind closed doors. You know, it, it's, those aren't easy decisions to make. They, they affect no. even, you know, good men and women who are out there, you know, maybe they're, you know, something strange like a missionary juggler for Jesus. And, <laughs> and you know, they're doing their thing and you inherited them because you took over the church. And it's like, man, I he's a good brother and he thinks he's doing what the Lord is telling him to do. But but it's just it just doesn't jive with what our church is trying to to do to reach the nations. Right. Exactly. Yes. And so. All right, so this is interesting because what we're really starting to get into is the nitty-gritty of what does it mean to actually support missionaries? Not just not just what does it mean to do the mission, but what does it mean to support missionaries? So maybe this is kind of a loaded question, I don't know. You, you can take this any way you want to take it, but is supporting missionaries simply a, a, a two-sided coin of money and prayer, or, or is there something more to, to partnering with missionaries? Yeah, and this is uh, something that has to uh, begin to factor into your philosophy of missions. You know, uh, I remember in my home church, God love them, you know, uh, on the back of our bulletin. Wow, man, there were, I, I, I'm not kidding. I bet you there were 75 nations, you know, mm -hmm. th that were represented. And here's the missionary we support there. Well, Okay, so we're we're throwing twenty five dollars at <laughs> all of these guys, uh, so that we can say that we're all about missions and, and because again, we support a hundred missionaries or something. Exactly. Right. <laughs> sure. Sure. Right. And so we're throwing a little twenty five dollars of a month, so we can put them on the back of our bulletin, so that we can check the missions box in our mind or you know, in the church meetings and, you know, you can have that philosophy and Hey man, 25 bucks, 25 bucks. Sure. But I, I am more about connecting with like-minded people and, uh, the further I go, the, the fewer of them, it seems <laughs> like there are. You know, and, and of course, this is why Living Faith Fellowship has been created, because we are like-minded mm -hmm. churches that are seeking to network with other like-minded guys for the, the sake of the, the mission. And so that, that world has changed somewhat, but uh, I, I feel like if we could maybe focus on a few fields— <laughs> that we're going to be vested in, that we can have a relationship with the pastor, that the people of the church can genuinely get to know that missionary. Uh, that missionary would be, if, if it's uh, of a field that could accommodate it, is open for teams of our people to come and be there and see the work, be involved in the work, be connected with the pastor, man, this is how I see 
that a church gets stoked mm. about missions. Because that is, missionary then becomes an extension of your church's ministry, not just some name that you guys support yes. in, a, in a country you've never been to, right? Absolutely. And, and, and the, when, when people get to the field, they get involved in the work and are able to talk ministry with a like-minded missionary and the leaders that he is training. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is, this is where people are motivated to give to missions and to pray for missions and, uh, to be involved. And, And it's even where people begin to get called to go to the mission field. Mm, I, what sure. are the chances that you would be uprooting your family to move to Hungary had you never gone? Yeah, exa- zero. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So seeing seeing the field can have can have a huge part. Um, what would you say? So you know, our our church FBC is is a larger church, and so even today we support a, a lot of missionaries, and you guys supported a lot of missionaries back in the eighties and nineties. But what what did it do for our church to have one or two specific projects or regions that we were really invested in? So back then it was the Philippines. Today we right. have one or two or three. We support a lot of missionaries, but there's one or two right. or three countries or projects we're heavily involved in. What can that do for for a body of a church to have that that one or two projects. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, in Proverbs 31, uh, I think it's verse 16, where it's talking about the virtuous woman, we would understand that the virtuous woman is actually a picture of the, the, the body of Christ or the mm-hmm. church. And uh, that verse says, she considereth the field and buyeth it. Mm-hmm. And again, I've already referenced the, the Matthew 13, 28 thing that Jesus taught us, that the field is the world. Yeah. I think as pastors, uh, we need to consider uh, the field and look out and, okay, we're going to support a lot of missionaries, but what, what field are we going to buy? Mm, yeah that we're going to invest our resources, financial and human resources in this field. And, and again, it could be, it could be based on the size of the church, a, a church like FBC, you know, you, you can buy a, a couple of fields, but your average bear out there mm-hmm. is probably needing to be challenged to consider a field Mm-hmm. And pray through that thing and say, God, where is that place on this planet that our local church could buy? We take responsibility and say, this is the field that at the judgment seat of Christ, we want to give an answer for mm-hmm. and, and begin to move and steer that church into that field. And you're taking teams of your people into that, that field. Uh, As you know, and a lot of the listeners of this would know that I'm deeply vested in the field of Malawi. It Mm -hmm. is the field that that I am buying right now. Mm -hmm. It's the field I want to go to the judgment seat of Christ and answer for. And, 
So Malawi is a country that uh, when I first started going was the uh, poorest nation in the world. It's always in the top five to get there and to uh, pay for, you know, what we, we need to do when we're there and the accommodations. It's about three thousand uh, dollars for a trip. OK, and there's times we're bringing, you know, teams of 35 you know, back-to-back weeks mm-hmm. into there. That's a lot of money. And so I, I ask my Malawi partners, uh, Pastor Palira Chibwana and Saul Mateo, I, I'm like, okay, so guys, you, you really feel that each of these people spending $3,000 to get here, would it, would it be better for us to just send the three thousand mm-hmm. dollars and let you guys do what you do, and I mean, no hesitation ever. Oh no, the momentum that we get from mm-hmm. the teams coming is—it it, is—you can't put a price tag on that. And so there's that aspect of it, but also what you're doing for the people that go, because. I don't think you can put a price tag on that because this is the heart conditioning for our people mm-hmm. to be able to get on foreign soil, to be a part. You, you don't have responsibilities at work and with kids and all of that. Man, you can give heart and soul to the ministry. And I, I, I see it as something that is heart conditioning and eye opening that it changes their life when they get back home. I think it is all part of the fundraising. You know, they're spending $3,000, but man, they're going to be a whole lot more apt to give to that field Mm -hmm. if they've they've laid their eyes on it and their heart got planted in that that field. And so, uh, and, and again, just like with you taking a trip to Hungary, you being there, your heart being gripped, your eyes being opened, all of that translated into you feeling like the God of the universe is wanting you to go to that field. And, and again, this is how we feed the mm-hmm. work. Right, right. So I, 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 I mean, I view buying the field, getting the financial resources there and the human resources yeah. there. Right. So like when a church uh, decides to buy a field and so it's not just like, okay, we're going to more heavily support financially this field. And yeah, that that's obvious that that should happen um, because you're buying into maybe a man that's already there or a church or a ministry. Um, and right. so you're you're gonna you're gonna channel some of your funds more um, intentionally to there. But then, like you said, you're we're going to send more teams. We're going to intentionally go there. We're gonna uh, raise money for a project at our missions conference for this field. And then maybe because you're doing that, families then surrender to go to that field. And so now, yes. not only are they an extension <clears throat> of your ministry, your part of your family has actually moved there. And, uh, and so there's a, there's a bunch of facets into buying a field is I guess where I'm getting at. Yes. And and again, I think all of them are positive and and of course they all have uh, ways to get it wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. a a lot of times people can go on a short-term mission trip and have their heart moved and their eyes opened and they want to get there, you know, next week. Mm -hmm. 
and mm, there's a there's a process sure uh and you need to back off the emotion of it and just like you've done you know you, you got to really consider that field mm, and consider yeah. the cost of right. buying it. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that that go into it. Well, and but. even considering the cost for a congregation. So everything we just described and, and you brought forth about buying a field rather than just maybe the, the older model of, you know, a shotgun approach. Right. <clears throat> support as many missionaries in as many places as possible. That's going to take a lot more sacrifice on the part of the church, though. That That's not as easy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you... you you're vested, man. You uh, are, man, you're going to have to invest a whole bunch of time in this. People are going to be asking questions uh, about the field. And, you know, and it's, I don't know, it just seems as if in with where we are in the 21st century, that having fewer places that we are actually able to get our people involved in the work, that seems to be a model that is, uh, that is working in the 21st century and keeps mm -hmm. people with their heart tender toward the things that, that gotcha. I, I think God is all about. Yeah, yeah. And really when it when it comes to this thing of supporting missions too and 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 if you're going to buy a field it the pastor has to decide what he wants because if if the pastor's not willing to put that time and energy into it because it is going to be a sacrifice on the on his part and the congregation's part to buy a field and not just give money to missions but i don't know i kind of think of it as a, kind of a relationship like you have a relationship with your wife you don't just throw money at the problems and they go right. away that would be a terrible model for your marriage but you sure. know sometimes maybe as a church and i, I don't want to call out any pastors or anybody but it, maybe the model that we've been taught for supporting missions is just throw money at it and that's, but maybe that's not just, or maybe that's not the only facet of partnering with missionaries. Yes, I, I, I think those days are, are, I think they're gone, man. Hmm. Uh, you know, if if you are legitimately preparing yourself to answer at the judgment seat of Christ for what we did in the uttermost part of the earth. Well, you know, we sent fifty bucks a month to a lot of fields. I, I don't, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to go and answer for that. <laughs> and, uh, but in, just in terms of the heartbeat of a church, man, when when you get people interested in the uttermost, they are not so self-absorbed. So that it all is focusing about me. I feel like it's a way to keep the focus off of ourselves at a time when God says mm -hmm. we are going to be lovers of our own selves and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Mm -hmm. Getting people involved in the mission gets that Laodicea and focus off of ourself and onto God and his book and people and the work, the, yeah. the, the mission. So I, I, yeah, I no, can't say enough about how that works into the, the whole package of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, 
yeah, I, I don't want to, again, take this somewhere where you don't want it to go. And I, I would imagine our time is just about up. But uh, I, I think what when a, when a pastor does this, uh, it, it gets to the point to where he cannot oversee it properly. Hmm. And so what he's going to have to do is he's going to have to organize and he's going to have to delegate and he's going to have to get other people involved in helping him oversee mm -hmm. the the field that is being bought and uh to the point to where you know somebody may be able to take that on as a a ministry but i think it grows into that this becomes the uh, the mission's pastor as mm -hmm. time goes on and the mission is growing and blossoming. But, you know, with all of the hats that a pastor has to wear, he, he, he needs, I think, to be so thoroughly vested and invested in that work in those early days until it grows to where it's bigger than him because he can't mm -hmm do his other responsibilities. And so then a lot of his time is met, is spent meeting with these people that are overseeing and they are reporting and sure. all of that. But what's happening with all of these people that are taking that kind of responsibility is again, their heart is being changed and they're growing They've, and their capacity to lead. And yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, 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 the, and the focus gets off of themselves. Yeah. That's awesome. And especially you said something a little bit ago about being outward focused instead of inward focused. And certainly if the individual believer is a microcosm of the body of Christ that he's a part of, um, we, we want we want churches that are outward focused and not inward focused because an inward focused church um, really isn't doing much uh, for the cause of Christ on a whether right. it's a global scale or just in your Jerusalem and Judea. If you're inward focused, you're not accomplishing a whole lot. Yes. Well, and I think what can happen with all of that is, yeah, you can, you can grow, but ooh, with that inward focus, it's kind of like your, your fingernail, man, when that thing is growing outward, it's good. But man, when you get an ingrown <laughs> fingernail, ooh, that's a mess. And, and there's lots of ingrown people in churches hmm. that cause problems for the pastor in the past, you know, yeah. it, it just gets the focus off of, of the word of God and the work of God. Sure. No, that's good. Hey, let's do this um, as we kind of bring it to a close and uh, you know, this has been great time. So thank you. Um, so now you mentioned earlier uh, that you're invested in Malawi and, and a lot of people know about that ministry. I, I'll, I'll summarize, but you know, years. So you, when you moved from new Philly to Columbus and you're in that church, you uh, got this opportunity to where you started going to Malawi to invest in pastors and, and going regularly several times a year to invest in national pastors there. And we actually did an episode about you know, investing in national missionaries and, and pastors and supporting those. Um, but now, I guess what I'm getting at here is you went from early on in, in your ministry as a pastor uh, to, to just being a senior pastor and figuring out how to be involved in missions and, and investing and partnering with missionaries to mm -hmm. now, later in, in your life, being more actively involved on the field and, and going several times a year and, and reaching these people. Is there anything that you've learned along the way that you would challenge 
pastors or give advice to pastors about how um, they can personally do their part in supporting mi- uh, missions internationally? Yeah, I, I, I would say <laughs> maybe a, a, a few things. I'll try to just keep them succinct. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I, I would say as a, a pastor, read the missionary prayer letters. <laughs> mm. You know, actually read them, uh, find out what it is that, that that missionary is asking you to pray about. Almost every time they are saying, hey, here's where we are. This is what we're trusting God to do or trusting God for. Uh, and get that thing organized to where you are uh, on a weekly basis, rotating on the days of the week these prayers for the missionaries. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't think the guy the pastor is going to spend 30 minutes a day praying on these, but if once a week he could be praying with what the missionary is actually asking the church to be praying for, and then he can begin to lead the church in praying on a, you know, rotating those, uh, those prayers for the, the, the missionaries. And, you know, I feel like just some of those simple little things is what keeps us honest in this whole thing of, of missions and being partnered and and connected with, with these guys. Um, and, And so just being involved in, in, praying and leading the church to be praying. And I would also say that that pastor, if God would grant it, that he would get to a field and lead a team to a field at least once a year. Mm. Um, I, 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 again, I, there's just so many things that go into that. It's a lot of work. But the training for that and the, the, the team effort of getting the people on the field and all of that, the benefit of that to that pastor, to those people, to that field, I, I feel like that's just got to become a, a, a staple item. And then constantly challenging the folks to pray, to give, and, and, and to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those are just some of the, the simple things that uh, I, I think a pastor could focus on. And I would just want to add in that when, when you do get serious about buying a field, you can count on the fact that you're going to have opposition. Hmm. The devil is certainly going to fight that and... Uh, and yet, man, that's that's what this work is really all about. But but I think, you know, for me to be so gung ho about all of this and so perky about it, and not say to a pastor, but you know, watch your back once mm-hmm. you do get invested in in a field and are leading a church that way. There, there's going to be there's going to be opposition. And I would say that through the years, uh, the greatest opposition that I faced as a pastor was uh, opposition that came from that whole missionary world. And I would do it all over again. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a real battle. 
and unless you get serious about the battle, then the, mm -hmm. the enemy isn't going to get serious about you. But when you get serious about it, he'll get serious about you. Find a way to discourage you in that thing. And uh, but man, we're going to the judgment seat. We're going to answer for Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. Well, Pastor Mark, thanks so much, man. Uh, th this was great, and I hope I hope this was encouraging and edifying and challenging for pastors out there. Uh, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your work uh, in doing this. God bless you, Kale. Well, there you go. I hope that was encouraging to you and, and challenging to you, no matter where you are in your walk with God, but especially pastors out there who are, uh, you know, f trying to find their way and how to s not only support missionaries, but really to partner with men and women who are moving to other parts of the world uh, so that your church can help fulfill the Great Commission, partnering with uh, these missionaries everywhere. I hope that was encouraging to you, and I and I hope that uh, you learned something. Pastor Mark certainly uh, has a lot of experience and wisdom in that area, and, and so he's, uh, man, being able to hear him speak on those things was uh, really good for me, and I'm sure it was for you as well. Thank you guys once again so much for listening. We appreciate it. Hope to see you back again next week. God bless. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe and share us on social media. Also, please make sure to check out our other podcast, Theology Roundtable, at theologyroundtable.com.